Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. Here we go now with the single-use plastics ban in Canada overturned now by the federal court of canada wow this is the federal ban on single-use plastic items so plastic shopping bags plastic straws cutlery takeout food containers those were all banned by the federal government the federal court of canada now has overturned this ban what happens next here now we go back to using these items. Does the government appeal this? Do they come up with a new law? Got both sides of it here coming up for you. Let's have a listen to the federal environment minister here first. You're going to hear federal uh, Stephen Gilbo here on the plastic single-use plastics ban. These products won't be manufactured anymore in Canada. Therefore, you won't be able to, 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 to get a hold of them. The ban will affect highly visible items in our lives. Plastic bags, takeout containers, straws, cutlery, stir sticks, even the plastic rings used on six-packs. This decision is supported by science. It will keep our environment clean and wildlife healthy. Okay, uh, unless it's overturned by the court, which it has been done now, uh, and the federal government now considering an appeal on this ruling. Let's discuss it now, both sides of it for you. Karen Wersig on the line. Karen is Program Manager for Environmental Defense. She supports the single-use plastics ban. Hi, Karen. Hi, good to be here. Thanks a lot for doing this. Also on the line is David Clement. David is North American Affairs Manager for the Consumer Choice uh, Center. He is opposed to the ban. Hi, David. Hello, Mike. Good to be on again. Thanks to both of you for doing this. Karen, let me go to you first. Your thoughts on this court ruling. Is this a surprise? Well, yeah, we were certainly surprised. We had intervened um, in the case in support of the government's uh, listing of plastic as a toxic substance on the Canadian Environmental Protection Act. And that's really what the courts have said um, or that the federal court has said is not um, upheld in her ruling. And so uh, what we've just heard just this morning is that the the federal government will be appealing that court decision. So okay. that's what's not that surprising is that we're now fooling around in the courts on something that is obvious to everyone, which is plastic pollution is a crisis and we need to stop it. Yeah, I'm just taking a look at the decision here, Karen. It said there is no reasonable apprehension that all the listed plastic manufactured items are harmful. Did that surprise you to read that from the federal court? Well, they don't have to be, they don't actually have to be harmful um, all the time, right? Like SEPA, mm -hmm. the Canadian Environmental Protection Act allows for the listing of things that have, uh, that pose a hazard and could well become a harm to the environment. And given how much plastic is in the world, any amount, any of the things that are, pla that are manufactured plastics can end up 
harming nature in the ways that the government has found through its science assessment. Right. So yeah, we're not. We're, it's not clear to us that the that this decision will stand up to an appeal, but we'll have to see. Okay, David Clement, your thoughts on the ruling? I think it's great. I mean, I think the the judge's comments uh, hit the nail on the head. Um, it it is ridiculous to make the claim that um, all plastic manufactured items, which would mean regardless of how they're used and regardless of the exposure rate to uh, determine risk, uh, are toxic. And so, I mean, the federal government is certainly free to to challenge that, but that position from the judge is a rather reasonable one, um, in my view, because of course, not all uh, manufactured plastic items in all use cases are toxic. Um, And there's a fundamental difference between a hazard and a risk. David, do you think that, as Karen said, the federal government indicating now they'll appeal this ruling, do you believe that we should just, instead of fighting this out in the courts, do you think these single-use plastic items should just be we should just start using them again? Is that what you think we should do? Well, it depends. Uh, we probably won't see them uh, return to stores anytime soon because companies aren't going to all of a sudden start producing these while there's regulatory uncertainty. Um, oh. So we won't have plastic straws again uh, overnight. Um, but as this, as this, uh, it's fought in the courts, it will establish the legitimacy of that type of designation under SEPA. And I don't think that the way in which um, it was written at first is going to be, um, I don't think the, the, the decision is going to be overturned. I, I think this, mm. this, the ruling will be upheld because it is rather common sense um, to see that obviously not every uh, plastic, you, not every plastic item and its use case are toxic for, for people. And so the claim that they are, it, I think, is rather dubious. Well, that's a misunderstanding of what SEPA is, right? SEPA does not say it has to be toxic to people in every use case. SEPA says that an item listed on the the registry would, or the Schedule 1 of SEPA, would ha- poses a hazard to the environment and or to human health. And we know that plastics pose a threat to the environment. Well, that so, would depend I mean, entirely hang on, hang on, David. On, hang on, David. Let her, yeah. let her finish her. Let her finish, and sure, we'll give you yeah, a shot. Go ahead, yeah, Karen. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, that, so we, we, yeah, thanks. So, so we know that plastics do enter the environment and cause a big problem to wildlife what, and to ecosystems when they enter wildlife. And there are so many plastics around that so much of it is entering the 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 environment that it does absolutely pose a, a threat to the environment okay. and is already causing damage and the problem with plastics is they never really go away so it's not like we're we're putting you know a ton of plastics into the environment over 10 years and that's it that that ton of plastics never goes away we're adding another ton the next few years and another ton and more and more and so this is the kind of thing that we do m- definitely have to put the brakes on. Now, David and I will disagree. We thought the first set of of single-use plastics bans were absolutely reasonable. They didn't go far enough. And Mm. I think, um, you know, the government will, around the world, these bans, bans on single-use plastics are becoming more and more popular. They are coming in because, you know, governments see that it is really the only way to stop this stuff from being mass-produced and getting into the environment. David Clement, go ahead. 
Yeah, it's not the only way to stop them from getting into the environment. It's a matter of collection and how it's disposed of. And that's obviously on municipalities and recycling efforts, whether that be traditional or mechanical. And so the idea that a hazard could be present if it ends up in the environment has the very important end of that sentence of if it ends up in the environment. And so the federal government would have to make the case that there is just nothing we can do to prevent it from ending up in the environment, which, of course, we all know there is a lot we can do to stop it from ending up. What do you think? What what would be a better way, David Clement, in your opinion, like the stuff should be collected and recycled? Uh, Collected, chemically depolymerized, which is where you repurpose the bonds and you turn all of these problematic plastics into all sorts of other items, whether they be tiles for your home or additives for asphalt so we don't have to repave the roads every year. Um, There are all sorts of options. There's a lot of great technology uh, in this space already in Canada. So it's not, it's homegrown technological innovation. Um, So it's a matter of collecting it and deterring it from ending up in landfills or even worse ending up in the environment as litter. Okay. Um, that would be the answer. Karen, and I would also note to stop yeah. shipping it to other countries where we know that they're just plowing it into the ocean, uh, which Karen, we do what do you and say- we shouldn't do. Karen, what do you say to that? I mean, the, these new tech, so-called new technologies are really amount to burning plastic and trying to get... I mean, depolymerizing simply means taking, undoing the chemical bonds that create these fairly strong... Uh, polymer bonds and uh, that's the problem with plastic right it doesn't come apart very easily so you need to use fire heat some kind of often poisonous catalyst to to take apart the bonds this does not exist for straws this technology does not exist for most plastics it's hugely expensive it's very polluting and it is certainly not going to be the answer to plastic pollution the other thing is you can try to collect all these straws, but we know, I mean, you know, can- Canadians are not major litterers, but we know what happens to these things when they're around. They do blow away and they do get into the environment. This is the problem with plastic. It's not It's not a material, especially with all the useless single-use plastic items that quickly become garbage. It's not a, a material that lends itself to easily easy, easy collection. There is okay. a use for plastic in our society, right? We're not, no one is saying least of all environmentalists and the, and the federal government, that there's no room for plastic in society. But the stuff that is most likely to end up in the environment, we do need to stop using. The stuff that we use for a minute or even less, like if a straw is thrown in your bag when you get takeout food and you never use it, which which is sometimes called no-use plastics, these things have to go. And I would say, I would really hope that not only do we see straw, not, not see straws coming back on the market anytime soon, I don't want to ever see them again. We can get used to living without plastic straws we are already getting used to it we're getting used to living without single-use plastic bags these this is the wave of the future okay there are alternatives and we need to go there david real quick and then we'll fit a break in here go ahead i mean there are alternatives but they're far worse for the environment whether it be plastic straws or sorry paper straws paper bags all of those are not only two to three times more expensive Um, The life cycle analysis on almost all of these products shows that the energy needed to create them, uh, ironically, the energy uh, needed to chemically depolymerize, is uh, is higher than single-use plastics. And so, yeah, we can get rid of plastic straws for paper straws, which nobody really loves. 
Um, but it doesn't mean it's better for the environment because the, out, the emissions output to create paper straws is higher. Talking about the single-use plastics ban overturned last week by the federal court, the government indicating now they will appeal this decision. Both sides of it here for you, Karen Worsig, David Clement are my guests. Phone lines are open, 604-280-9898, star 9898, toll-free on your cell. Chris and Salmon Arm. Hi, Chris, go ahead. Hi there. Yeah, I um, don't agree with that uh, decision being overturned. Um, I feel like uh, uh, single-use plastics is uh, only part of the problem. What uh, nobody's talking about here uh, also is uh, a consumption. Um, consumption is is uh, way over the top. We simply buy too much stuff that re- that comes in packaging, and uh, we're not uh, talking about the uh, packaging stuff comes in. What about the manufacturers and uh, packaging that they use to put their uh, stuff in? Uh, you buy something and, uh, you know, you just about have to get a chainsaw to uh, to get uh, whatever you bought out of the plastic packaging. Um, that's another thing that needs to be dealt with and talked about. Okay, Chris, thank you for the call. Well, Karen, you said before the break there that you believe the, the list of single-use plastic items on this banned list actually doesn't go far enough, and there, we should, there be, should be more items banned. What, what items do you think should also should be banned? Well, I, t- to this point about packaging, there is a lot of overpackaging. There's a lot of overuse of single-use packaging. And sometimes the alternative is no packaging at all. And certainly what we'd like to see is not just replacing plastic with other single-use material, like with other single-use pa- packaging that you have to throw out after you use it like paper, as David mentioned earlier. We're not in favor of that as a solution. Um, in the case of packaging, we'd really like to see efforts uh, to go towards convenient, affordable, and widespread reusable packaging systems for a lot of items that would work. For a lot of food items that would work. I mean, we already have it in this country for beer. Beer bottles are actually, uh, when you return them, are washed out and refilled in in some cases. And, And that kind of practice should be expanded and it should be expanded for a lot of things that are packaged in plastic today. But I think there's also a lot of just depackaging. We can we can sell things without uh, so much packaging, that's for sure. Okay. And so if bans are needed to kind of get send the signal to industry, I mean, here's the thing. Do you need to have a legal ban to make this stuff change? Apparently we did need to have it to make to make all this stuff go away in the last year. Um, do we need to have that ban be upheld by a court to make it stay away? I don't think so, because once companies and Canadians get used to not using this garbage, um, I, I think we'll, we'll all, we're all going to find that our, our lives and our environment is better. And I think there will be an appetite to go further. Okay. And David. I guess the government just, oh, sorry. Let me, let me just squeeze David in here and just in the interest sure, of time. Sure. David, what do you say to that argument that like people are just getting used to it? Like there's no more plastic straws anymore. I mean, the world didn't end. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, I think the response, at least from what I can see anecdotally online, is, oh, maybe we won't have to deal with these pesky paper straws anymore. I'm not so certain that there's widespread uh, support for it. I mean, there's nothing more ironic than getting an extra large Starbucks drink, which is, of course, made of plastic, and then having someone put a paper straw in it as if that's doing anything for the environment. Well, most, sure. people I mean, those, see, most people those, see that. 
Those single-use plastic then, no. cups should also be banned, right? Those are one of the things that absolutely should be banned. And places like Starbucks should be using reusables, including straws if people really need straws. But I think most Canadians, when they look at straws in the environment, are like, yeah, I didn't really need that, actually. Mm. And so I don't think it's reasonable to say that. I mean, we, we know from recent polling from Oceana Canada, for example, that more than 90% of Canadians actually do support action on plastics. Okay. And they put yes. the environment ahead of their convenience of using a straw Running so i don't think uh, david david 30 seconds here to wrap yeah, up go ahead not so much uh there's there's polling that does suggest that what karen is saying is true but when you inform consumers about the increased costs the policy perspective quickly shifts and so yeah people may be in support of switching away from plastic but not if it's going to cost them more which of course it does the government of canada has said that and so uh, okay. The public sentiment here depends. All right, here we go now with the phasing out of legal cigarette sales in the United Kingdom. Wow, New Zealand had earlier announced uh, they were going to do this. Now here we go in the UK. They will begin the phase out of legal cigarette sales there should we do the same thing right here let's have a listen to the uk prime minister here rishi sunak have a listen four in five smokers have started by the time they're 20. later the vast majority try to quit but many fail because they're addicted and they wish they had never taken up the habit in the first place so i propose that in future we raise the smoking age by one year every year. That means a 14-year-old today will never legally be sold a cigarette. Okay, Rishi Sunak, the UK Prime Minister there. Yeah, they will phase out legal cigarette sales there, he is promising. Let's discuss now with my guest, Jack Boomer. Jack is with the Clean Air Coalition in BC, and I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Hey, Jack, thanks for coming on today. Thanks so much, Mike. Yeah, I appreciate it a lot. So what do you think about what they're doing in the United Kingdom there? Well, you know, I think that uh, this is a, a very positive step to try to find ways to minimize or, or to ensure that young people do not become addicted to nicotine and uh, prevent them from a lifelong addiction. And so I think this is a, a an, an interesting step to move forward where you, you know, gradually increase the age at which you can no longer purchase tobacco products and uh, or um, nicotine products. And so I think that there are some positive things about that. I think at the yeah, same and- time, we have to be careful, Mike. Sorry. We have to be careful, though, that we don't all of a sudden focus all our energy on this and not focus on the fact that we still have, you know, in British Columbia, hundreds of thousands of people or, you know, lots of people that are addicted to nicotine. And we need to provide supports to them who are addicted who, uh, and encourage them to quit smoking altogether. Right. So it's very interesting how they're going to do this. They're going to phase it in. So as you heard the, the, U, the British Prime Minister say there in that clip, they will increase the legal age to purchase cigarettes by one year every year. So gradually over time, it will eventually apply to the, to the entire population. And as you mentioned there, some, a kid in the UK right now who's 14 years old and younger will, will never be able to buy a legal cigarette. I guess that's, how does that work for people who are smokers now? So if the way they're structured it here now, 
for people who are smokers now, older older British people, they will still be allowed to buy their cigarettes as they go forward, as they get older, correct? Um, well, I don't know all the details of what they're doing in the UK, but I would I would expect that that's exactly the case, is that yeah. there would be some real strong uh, regulatory uh a real strong regulatory push so that people have to have proof of their age when they're purchasing tobacco products. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think of that idea? Like, and the, the New Zealand's doing the same thing, right? Very similar. I believe so. Yeah. 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 And you think we should do it here too? Well, I, I think that it's, it's an interesting, uh, uh, it, it certainly is interesting to look at and explore. I think though, as I mentioned, there are a lot of things that can be done uh, and that we have done to denormalize the use of tobacco products. And I think that we should continue to be exploring those evidence-based things that we know will actually work by having smoke-free rules and regulations in place, like uh, restricting where people can smoke, um, by increasing tobacco taxes and vaping taxes so that it will uh, make it less attractive to purchase the product, as well as doing things like retail reform, where you restrict the number of places where products can be sold. In British Columbia, we're the only province that still allows tobacco products to be sold in pharmacies. Every other jurisdiction in Canada prohibits the sale of tobacco products in pharmacies. Uh, so there are things like that, as well as uh, doing mass marketing to ensure that youth, young adults, and even adults are aware of the harms of tobacco, nicotine addiction, and other uh and are aware that it can uh, harm others around them so that uh, and th so those are some of the things that we know will work um, mm. we you know the the um, we we think I believe that you know increasing the age will make a difference but uh, we we I certainly hope that the UK will not be focusing all its energies on that and not looking at the evidence-based things that they that are being done to yeah. encourage people to quit smoking is there a danger that if they phase out legal sales of cigarettes and other nicotine products over time, this is going to be phased in, that what you will do is stimulate a an underground black market for products who are, that people are determined to get their hands on? Like, I'm just thinking now about the number of kids who are into vaping. And I was just talking to my son about this on the weekend. We were talking a lot about how a lot of his friends, a lot of his peer group, he's a young guy, you know, a lot of kids are vaping right now. And there's lots of evidence of a, a very um, large underground black market of vape products that are being purchased by kids, correct? Like if, if you bring in a, a legal, if you ban legal sales, do you pump up the illegal sales? Well, I certainly think that that is one of the, the strong considerations that might happen. And I think that yeah. um, that's that's why, you know, um, it'll be interesting to see if the experience of New Zealand, which, again, you know, it it's a little bit more easier to control if you've got a self-contained country um, where um, it it's more difficult to bring products in or smuggle them in, so to speak. But again, yeah. I yeah. I think that. Um, definitely, you know, one of the things we have in place in British Columbia is we have age restrictions. So you can't purchase tobacco products until illegally uh, until you're the age of 19. And one of the reasons we know is that if you prevent somebody from becoming addicted to a nicotine, nicotine before the age of 19, then hopefully then they won't actually start using a, a nicotine product in any way, shape or form. And so this is 
uh, you know, one of the things a number of places in the United States are doing is they're pushing the legal age to 21. Some uh, jurisdictions are doing that because one of the things we know is that a big avenue for people to purchase, to get access to tobacco products is something we call social sourcing, where friends go and purchase the product. So if you are 17, 18, and you have a friend who's 19, they can legally purchase the product. And so it's very likely that people, you know, 17, 18 have friends that are 19 or 20 or 21. Um, but if uh, the legal age is 21, you're getting a little bit further away from kids, uh, young people that are 16, 17, 18, that might have some of the friends that age. And so again, a significant source for young people to become addicted to nicotine products is that yeah. age. You know, Mike, one of the things that is very concerning is nicotine pouches that have just burst onto the scene here in the last month. And, yes. And uh, we might want to talk a little bit about that as well. Oh, absolutely. And you just anticipated my next question there, Jack. Speaking of Jack Boomer, Clean Air Coalition, they are phasing out legal cigarette sales in the United Kingdom and New Zealand. Let's talk about this other story you just mentioned, Jack. So nicotine pouches. I'd never heard of these until very recently. Nicotine pouches uh, being introduced into the Canadian market, raising concerns. What are these things? Well, um, a nicotine pouch is basically a little, just as it says, it's a little pouch that contains four milligrams of nicotine or less. Um, and it doesn't contain tobacco. It just contains nicotine. And it is a product that you would put uh, inside your, between your cheek and your gums. And uh, you'd put it in, in your mouth uh, and to get um, uh, the hit from nicotine. Yeah. So it's kind of like... Uh... Chewing tobacco, you know, similar? Well, it would be somewhat similar, but the one thing about it is you don't have the, um, my father chewed tobacco and he would, uh, you know, you'd get the, the, uh, kind of the, the goop from the, the tobacco, the saliva, and he'd, you know, you spit that out kind of thing. So yeah, associated with it, but you know, Mike, one of the reasons I think that, it's burst onto the scene is because it's a very new product. In fact, July 18th was when uh, the sister company to Imperial Tobacco was given approval through the natural health product regulations to um, actually sell these flavored nicotine pouches. And um, in fact, I believe in uh, uh, just on October 12th, so, uh, you know, a little over a month ago was when Imperial Tobacco announced that it has been selling this product. And in Canada, it's called Zonic. So yes. like tonic with a zing, I think it's sometimes referred to as so Zonic. And uh, in fact, just hearing some of the stories about it last week, I was in my local grocery store yesterday and there at the where they sell tobacco products, there was a sign for this product that was available for sale. And it's very concerning because uh, there are no regulations in place that prohibit the sale of this product to young people. Oh. Even though, yeah. So there's, even though on the product it sells something like not for sale to kids under or people under 18, there is no uh, legal framework in place that prohibits the sale of this product to anyone under the age of 18. Uh, as well, it's coming in a variety of flavors, which, um, you know, the tobacco industry is marketing it as a cessation aid. But, you know, when it when it comes in flavors uh, like uh, Cool Mint or Tropical Breeze, I don't even know what the flavor Tropical Breeze would be. Uh, we know that this is lifestyle marketing and it's a way to try to entice, in particular, young people and 
likely not the folk that are trying to quit smoking. My guest is Jack Boomer talking about smoking and tobacco products in BC and the UK. They will phase out legal cigarette sales. Let's go to your phone calls here. Mike in Kelowna. Hi, Mike. Go ahead. Hey, hey, Mike. It's, um, I just wanted to just make a comment uh, just regarding uh, the last or the, the last guest, the last comment on uh, Zonic. Yeah. You know, my, my, my 21-year-old son, he vapes and, and, and heavily. And he's gone to Zonic. Now, the whole vaping process essentially is a chemical that gets burnt in a small burner within the vape and emits chemical fumes. That all goes into the kid's lungs. Uh, this is a product that I personally believe, being an ex-smoker, uh, is no different than using a Nicorette gum. He talked about, oh, it's, you know, it's geared because of flavors. There's four different flavors with Nicorette gum, and it's been around forever. Um, I, I think I think it's a cleaner option. Uh, it gets the smoke out of the kids' lungs, and I've actually convinced my son, like, look, a, you have to stop, yeah. uh, and, and b, while you're doing that, I understand that there has to be some sort of uh, suppression, uh, to, you know, to the addiction itself. And I personally feel that that's uh, it's a it's a better option to get kids or yet the vaping. I think the vaping, uh, the popcorn lung, the things that they they go through. Um, yeah. You know what? Um, you, you hear them barking on the streets, literally like dogs after they've they've taken a, a hit off the vape. So I don't want to take a lot of your time. I just wanted to just uh, put that forward and see what uh, other people and uh, guests would uh, thank, say about that. Thank you, Mike, for the call. And I hope that you can convince your son to quit. I know how difficult it is, and I the number of young people who have taken up vaping, Jack, I know is really troubling for you too but what did you think about his point that he's encouraged his son to try these these nicotine pouches as a as a, a safer product than vaping what do you think of that well first of all i i applaud uh mike for uh, uh mike mike uh but i applaud mike for uh uh encouraging his son to uh get healthy and to quit smoking altogether and quit vaping you know yeah. one of the things we're we're not we're not saying to completely uh completely ban the product. What we're saying is that uh, initially, uh, that first of all, there's no regulations in the way that it's marketed and promoted, and that there's no re there's no banning of how old somebody can be to purchase this product. And so one of the things that health groups are calling on is to reclassify initially the, the nicotine pouches as a prescription product or suspend the sale until the regulatory gap is closed. And so basically saying it shouldn't be, should, there should be some rules and regulations around how it's marketed, that there shouldn't be lifestyle marketing, uh, regard, some, some issues about the flavoring, if it's really intended to encourage people to uh, quit smoking or quit vaping, what does that look like? And yeah. um, to, so that there's a bit of a moratorium <clears throat> as well, because we know that the tobacco industry is in place to uh, sell product and to hook people on products. And so therefore, um, if, uh, you know, we should be really careful that if the tobacco industry in, is involved, they're not doing it out of the goodness for the public health. They're yeah. doing it out of the goodness for their bottom line. And okay. so, uh, yeah. Squeeze in one more call here while we can. Steve in Surrey. Steve, you got 30 seconds here. Uh, yes, gentlemen. I, first off, I want to say I'm very anti-cigarettes. I buried both of my parents because of that horrible habit. But I will say that uh, what what are we talking about if we if we enhance this sort of uh, implementation? 
uh, it, I would suggest it's going to enhance the black market, cigarette market. And mm-hmm. secondly, uh, the taxes, the vast amount of taxes that are collected when you sell this uh, to, to, in theory, help our medical industry to offset the, the potential problems. Um, what's going to happen with all this lack of tax revenue? When it's, a, it's a good point. It's a good point, Steve. Thank you for making it. Jack, we are out of time. I appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on today. My sincere pleasure. Thank you. Okay, let's talk about the Marvel movies now. And I used to be a bit of a fan of the Marvel movies. I I used to love Marvel comic books when I was a kid, that's for sure. And I don't know, they started to kind of wane on me here now. Now, are we starting to see the beginning of the end of the Marvel movie franchise here? This is one of the most successful film franchises in the world. We've seen a ton of these movies. The latest Marvel movie at your local Cineplex right now is The Marvels. It is a sequel to Captain Marvel from a few years ago. That was quite a successful film starring Brie Larson. This one, not so much. It is shaping up as a flop here. Uh, The worst showing for a Marvel film here ever got sam adams standing by from slate.com to discuss first have a listen to shauna smith and alexandra canal here of yahoo finance here talking about this marvel movie flop the newest movie in the marvel universe making its debut at the box office this this weekend but to not so superhero results now the marvels had its worst opening for any mcu film generating 47 million in ticket sales. Is it the end game for the franchise's popularity? Not a great start for this film. This is something that Disney has been struggling overall ever since uh, Endgame in 2019. They really haven't been able to secure that super big blockbuster superhero movie. All right, let's discuss this now with my guest, Sam Adams. Sam is a culture writer with Slate.com. He does wonderful work there. I recommend him to you. Hey, Sam, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Okay, so Sam, this movie here, The Marvels, what's going wrong here with this movie? What, what do you, uh, how do you analyze the performance of this film here? Well, you are certainly not alone in your waning interest for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, as you just heard in that clip, this is the worst opening for a movie um, in the 15-year history of the MCU going back to 2008. Um, that was last week, and this week in the news is, if you can imagine, even worse because the, the already lousy box office from the first weekend dropped off almost 80% in the second weekend, which is, um, according to the people he can track of such things, the worst ever second weekend drop-off for any superhero movie made by any company. Um, so this thing is completely in free fall. Um, this is just a disaster for them anyway. You slice it. Oh, man, and it's a sequel to... Captain Marvel, you correct me if I'm wrong here, Sam, but I think Captain Marvel was a good hit, right? Yeah, Captain Marvel is, I think, the eighth highest grossing uh, movie in of Marvel's now 33 movies that made over a billion dollars worldwide. So, yeah, so this is wow. a huge drop off even from that movie. If this is, I, I, I don't know that there's been a case where a sequel to a movie that, that was that successful has done this poorly. It's really, um, you have to kind of like find new records for this thing to break any way you look at it. Something's, something's being bottomed out. 
Yeah, something is. Yeah, the falls. The the floor is falling through here. How do you uh, how do you analyze that, Sam? Like, is this Marvel fatigue? Like, are people just finally get, got enough of this stuff? Like, what's going on? Yeah, I do think it is um, fatigue. Maybe people are talking about superhero fatigue, but I think it's you do have to point out that you know the across the Spider Verse made seven hundred million dollars in June of this year. Um, the Robert Pattinson movie, The Batman, made almost $800 million last year. So um, at the same time, you have these huge flops also of the second Shazam movie and The Flash this year here in the DC universe. So it seems like audiences are not necessarily tired of superhero movies, but they are really getting weary of these sort of massive interconnected universes where you have to watch a million films and then now a million episodes of TV just to keep up with <laughs> things. Um, one of the one of the other really worrying statistics for the Marvels is the, uh, the opening weekend um, – I think it's like 19% of the audience was uh, 25 and younger. So that's usually your core audience for superhero movies. But I think there's really um, signs that audiences that haven't kind of grown up with these Marvel movies, ingesting them as they come along and now are being told, hey, well, you need to watch 32 movies and 69 episodes of television to understand what's going on are just not willing to do that homework anymore. Yeah, yeah, that is a lot of homework here to stay on top of this uh, sprawling universe they've created here. Speaking to Sam Adams, Slate.com, the latest Marvel superhero movie, The Marvels, is flopping here at the box office. Sam, let me play a clip here for you from film, the famous film director Martin Scorsese. And uh, he's talking about the Marvel movies here. He's not too impressed with them. Here's what he has to say, and then I'll get your thoughts. Martin Scorsese. Problem is... Um the uh, amusement park films. Yeah, I was saying this in, in New York, and uh, people were saying, well, you know, you don't like those films. It's not that I don't like them. First of all, I haven't seen many. I tried to, but I, I wasn't interested. Uh, the thing about it is that they seem to be creating, it's another form. Mm. It's another form. And their theaters were almost like amusement parks in a sense. So these films now, I think, are more like theme rides in what a way. What do you think of his take on it, Sam, that these movies are kind of like a theme park ride? He's not very impressed with these Marvel movies. Your thoughts? I think he's right. I also think that doesn't have to be a bad thing. Like, I, I like going on a roller coaster now and then. Lots of people yeah. do. Um, it's only when that kind of becomes like the only ride in the theme park or the, 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 it's the only kind of park to go to. Um, the problem isn't really that, you know, Marvel movies or superhero movies or whatever exist. Um, people like them. They should go see them. They should make all the money they need to. It's just that they have taken up so much of the oxygen over the last 15 years that it becomes really hard for anything else to break through and get that kind of attention. So it's not about the existence of the films, really. You know, everyone has their own taste. It's the, the dominance that they exert over the marketplace. So, um, you know, I, you asked sort of at the beginning, is this the end of the Marvel universe? I, I don't think we know. Just yet, they've they just pushed a lot of their movies into 2025, so they're going to clearly take a moment to kind of pause and reflect. Um, but yeah. it might be the sort of first crack in that dominance, and that uh, that is a good sign for me. And what do you think is being said about all of this in the boardroom of the Disney Corporation here, which, of course, owns, owns Marvel? I mean, I've heard this term flop sweat you know are they sweating it out over <laughs> yeah. there about this flop of a movie here what do you think they're saying in the boardroom there i think i think yeah i think they have to be i mean this is definitely not the only sign that interest in marvel has been waning mm -hmm. and that things are um kind of chaotic over there um so they you know they did two things last week um in that sort of wake of the marvels actually before it opened when they, it was clear that it was going to be pretty bad 
Um, one was that they rescheduled a whole bunch of movies. So now it's um, the next sort of proper Marvel movie isn't until February of 2025. Um, so that's a good 18 months um, with, for them to kind of rethink. Um, they also are debuting this new label called Marvel Spotlight with uh, the Disney Plus series Echo that comes on in January. And this is specifically a label attached to series that you don't need to watch other things in the Marvel Universe to understand. They're promising you a self-contained story. The whole thing is dropping in one day. So instead of saying, you know, give us 33 movies, they're saying give us three hours and we'll tell you a whole story. You will understand it. You've never seen anything else and you will be satisfied when we're done. Um, that is a great thing, but it is the polar opposite of how this, the strategy they've had for 15 years, which has been make people feel like they need to see everything, make them feel like they need a Disney Plus subscription so they can watch and rewatch. Um, so there's a serious pivot going on here. We're really just getting started, but clearly they realize that something has to change. Yeah. I wonder if they need to get their superstars back together here and like, Avengers reassemble, like get on the phone and call up Robert Downey Jr. and get all the... Get all the big superstar Scarlett Johansson and uh, the Thor guy, and get all of them t back together uh, to do more Avengers movies. I mean, that, that would cost them a fortune, though, wouldn't it? I can't even imagine how much money that would cost them. Yes, I mean, I think that's. Pro I'm sure that idea has been pitched at some point. I don't know how open those stars are to coming back, but you know, you also yeah. look at the beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and people like Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth. Those were not stars; they weren't even really kind of known at that point. Um, so what's really going on with this new, we're in sort of phase four, phase five of the Marvel master plan, is they're really just failing to establish new protagonists in this series that people can really get behind. And some of it maybe is, is the casting choices, but I think it's just also the way the movies are building these people up. Um, someone like Iman Vellani, who's um, Captain uh, Ms. Marvel in the new Marvels, who is just incredibly charismatic young actress, um, really stole this Marvel series that she was the head of, but she's not, um, she couldn't be out there doing press before the movie because of the actor strike. Um, but I don't think this movie is really giving her the, the kind of proper introduction, the kind of platform to make her the kind of star that she clearly can be. And I think Marvel needs to take a look at that whole machinery too. They, it's, right. The expensive way is to go back and buy up their old stars again. Um, but these movies used to make stars as well. And their new ones are really not managing to do that. Well, speaking of stars, we're, we're all fans here in Vancouver of a local boy, Ryan Reynolds. And I'm just wondering if, um, I know they've got another Deadpool movie coming out, don't they? Maybe that'll turn things around for them next year. Yeah, the Deadpool movie is the one Marvel movie coming out between now and 2025. Those are sort of a weird case because they weren't, they were because of all the weird rights issues. They were Marvel, they were Marvel characters, but they were owned by Fox, so they were separate from the MCU. Then Disney bought Fox. And the Deadpool movies have also been incredibly successful on their own without any universe times. They have a very distinct sensibility from the regular Marvel movies. They're much more kind of brassy and, and foul-mouthed and yeah. um, you know pushing R-rated. Um, so yeah, so I think that movie is probably going to do great. I don't know what that will really... Apparently they're trying to sort of use that to amazingly use this weird little series to now lift up the giant um, behemoth of the MCU because it needs help all of a sudden. Um, so <laughs> chances are, I mean, the, the first two Deadpools have been very successful. I don't think there's any reason to think um, that this one won't be because it's it's distinct. It actually feels like its own thing. Um, and you definitely don't, you know, they make jokes in the movie about sort of the low rent characters they could get because they couldn't, they didn't have access to the regular Marvel characters. So you don't need to know anything to watch these movies because the joke is really that you've never heard of these characters before. All right. All right. Okay, Ryan Reynolds and, and Deadpool to the rescue here, maybe, next, next year. All right. Sam, thank you for coming on to talk about this today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much, Mike. It's a pleasure. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop? Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.